Greetings. Good morning, dear friends. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. If uh, you are a first-time guest with us, if you're in the building or you're watching online, we are so grateful to have you with us. We have been asking God to send us people just like you that we could minister the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and really just love you and come alongside you and help you understand uh, what's the next step in my relationship with God. And, and we all have a next step in this room and we want to help anyone and everyone. But if you are a first time guest, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we love you and we're grateful for you. If we've not had opportunity to meet, uh, my name is Pastor Jordan or Jordan or Brother Jordan. Uh, some have begun to call me PJ. Um, so. Uh, so grateful, well, whatever you want to call me, uh, to get to shepherd you and get to come alongside you as your pastor and your shepherd during this time. If you have your Bible, you want to grab it. We're going to uh, go to a number of texts today, um, really as we begin thinking about a really important subject called church membership or covenant church membership. And the question really, uh, as we look at this, is what does the Bible say about something? If you have a church background at all, you've heard the word church member or church membership. And really the question is, is there biblical precedent for this reality, something we practice here? And is there biblical precedent for that? We're going to look at that here in just a moment. So uh, get your biblical uh, belt strapped on because we're going to fly around a little bit this morning. But before we do that, I want to uh, bring you up to speed on a couple of things. Uh, a couple of weeks from today, uh, we're going to have uh, kiddos that are currently in our PVC kids, if you're around here, our VIP ministry, they're going to come up here on this platform and they're going to sing. Uh, they've been working on some songs during first hour and we're going to bring them up here on February 12th and uh, they're going to sing and they're going to bless us and we're going to bless them and it's going to be a, a really wonderful time. So pray for them. Pray for maybe grandparents, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews that are maybe going to come watch their kiddos sing. Always a great time to, to, to a lot of great things happen during that time. But here's another great thing that needs to happen during that time. We need some helpers. If you're a church member and you have a desire to help out during this, this uh, VIP, by the way, VIP Volunteers in Preschool. A lot of different names you want to attach that, to that acronym, but it's Volunteers in Preschool. And you have to be a member to serve in that capacity, and that means you got to go through some child care background check type stuff. Give us your credit card number. Just kidding. Um, but, but get some things in place so that we can assure our kids, parents, that those who are back there are qualified to be there, and that we can entrust, as we're meeting in this time, that our, our children are being cared for really, really well. So that is a, a ministry, friends, that is vital as we continue to reach young families, as we continue to see kiddos back there. Uh, we're expanding what we're doing during that time, so we're, we're going to have some training in the weeks to come as we gear up in March to to do a little bit more during that time. And so that would be somewhere that you can immediately you say, I don't know where to serve. We need you there. There's, two, there's a couple of folks that serve in our zero to one, the babies, and then the, the two to about kindergarten have another class. As, the, as this thing grows numerically, as it is, the goal is, is to have a zero to one class, a two to three class, and a four to kindergarten class. Hard to do that right now in one sense because we just don't have the physical bodies to do that. Uh, but we want to do that. And so Jen Caldwell 
and uh, Karen Joe. You don't know who that is. Maybe, maybe you do. I hope you do if you're a member. Uh, but those, those two ladies, you want to reach out to them. You want to say, hey, I want to learn about how can I make an impact in the lives of preschoolers during that ministry. The more we have, the more that it's going to be a bigger rotation of individuals. So I just want you to hear my heart on that. Brother, sister, we need you. We need you. So, so please consider that. Don't do it just because I said, but pray about it. Ask God to confirm, is that somewhere I need to serve? Because I'm going to tell you something. We need you, and uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, second of all, um, our, our uh, PVC Kids Ministry, um, we, are, uh, we plan to start a Wednesday night offering on Wednesday night in March. The challenge is we, we didn't, we're not ready for that yet. Not only the workers, but also just the training. And so we're going to look to start a PVC Kids Ministry on Wednesday night in the fall. So we're working on that. So if you have a desire as well to serve kiddos and you want to help on a Wednesday night offering, see those same ladies because we're getting ramped up to get that going. We've got training, we've got thought. There's a lot going into that. There's so many kiddos running around here on Wednesday nights playing in our park. You know, that's our park over there. God put this church here. That's our park. Those are our kids. That's our community. And when I drive in here on Wednesday nights, I see so many just playing over there, hanging. I think, Lord, bring them here. We want to reach them here. But in order to reach them, obviously, we need the people, we need the structure, so we're working on all that. And if that's a desire of yours, then please consider that. Um, another thing I want to bring to your attention, uh, there is some construction going on right here. Did you notice? I know it's the thing right now, a lot of churches just have one screen. Just kidding. But we are working on that. And uh, just want you to know that if you're a guest here, that's not how it normally looks. Uh, but in the next few weeks, we're looking, the screen, this screen's going to come down as well. It's just going to be painted and uh, going to look a little, a little bit different. But we're working on that just so you know um, about that. And then finally, if you're in the room and some of you that are non-members that are praying about becoming members with our Discover PVC class today, some of you are asking, you know, as I'm praying and I'm thinking about becoming a member, I realize I want to serve this church in some way as I'm waiting. And what are some of those ways that I can serve. Well, we're working on that right now as elders, as we think about, but a couple of ways is our food distribution. You certainly jump in. You know, our coffee ministry, this lady over here, Violet, she and, and our coffee ministry team, can we just thank God for the coffee and tea that we have? You know, <clears throat> they're responsible for that. And, and you don't have to be a member to help make coffee. So if you want to go to Violet and talk about how can I help with that, uh, we'd love for you to do that. Well, I tell you what, church, we got a lot to look at today in God's Word, and I, I want to pray, and let's ask God for help as we look at the inerrant, infallible Word of God and what He has for us. Let's quiet our hearts. Oh God, we come to you today with grateful hearts that you are fully in control of everything in the world. That means you're fully in control of everything in our lives as a body and then individually. There's marriages in this room, there's singles in this room, there's widows and widowers in this room, there's people that are hurting in this room, there's, there's people watching online who are broken and really don't know where to turn. And Lord, we know that Jesus, as we've sung to you, you are our answer. You were our answer for those who know you, and you are our answer as we learn to keep coming to you, for you are a tremendous shepherd. 
You are the chief shepherd, and you care for us so very, very well. And we praise you for that. And we ask you now, uh, Lord God, as we feast upon the truth of your word, God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that we would see with the eyes of our spiritual heart. We're going to read the scripture with our physical eyes, but Lord, we want to see spiritually what you have for us. And Lord, I am grateful for the work that you're doing in the life of this body. Would you increase our hunger more than anything else for your word to be a church that is shaped by the word of God? And that we all, Lord, would just love to study it and read it personally and engage it. And Lord, I just thank you for a church that is hungry. Would you increase our hunger? Lord, I also lift up uh, Memphis, Tennessee right now. And Lord, the challenges that that entire city is facing. And on the backdrop of just another tragedy, Lord God, I pray that you would be with the brother, our brothers and sisters there Local churches that are meeting today in that city, and they're praying, and they're thinking, how do we engage our city? How do we minister to this situation? How do we pour the salve of the gospel upon this situation? Lord, it's heartbreaking to live in a world that is so fractured and so marred by sin, and at the same time, we know that you are fully in control, and so we ask that you would bring healing to hearts that are broken uh, be big Jesus in the life of these families that are directly involved in a whole city that is indirectly involved and really a nation that is indirectly involved. And we just pray that the salve of your grace and your gospel and your love would just overwhelm the situation. Lord, we thank you for so many that serve in the life of this church. We thank you for our PVC kids and what you're doing in that ministry. Would you raise up others to serve in that capacity? Um, Lord, I pray for those in our congregation this week who have surgeries, who have um, just battles, some family members that are in the ICU, some family members that are just hurting. Lord, would you just be near in those situations? Father, would you just overwhelm them with your grace? Would you give them hope? Would you let them know that Psalm 34, 18 says that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit? So Lord, would you do that for the glory of your beautiful name? And as we turn now to this most important subject, Lord, I pray that we leave here convinced that your word is not just inerrant and infallible, but it is actually sufficient to give us everything we need to be the church that you've called us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit. And everyone said, I want you to think deeply with me about a question. And the question is this, what should we want in a local church? What should you want? What should I want? What should we want in a local church? Notice I didn't say, um, 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 what should, or what do we want? I asked, what should we want? Not what we want in a local church, but as you read the Bible and you see the portrayal of the New Testament church given in the, the, the Scripture, what is it that you should say about that portrayal and say, I believe that if I'm going to be part of any local church, then it should have these things in place. Now, I'm going to play the optimist this morning, and I'm going to assume that everything the Bible wants you to say, I need that in my local church via the Word of God, that that's actually what you want. 
You know, I've not met many Christians who said, you know, the, I know the Bible says A, B, and C about the local church, but by golly, I don't really care because I want X, Y, and Z in a local church. I've met very few who said that they were Christians and wanted to rebel against the Word of God. So I'm going to operate on the assumption as we move through this that what the Bible says you should want, that you actually want. And so what are some of those things? Well, number one, I assume that you desire a church where you can be known, loved, and cared for by other Christians. Where you can be deeply embedded in a community of baptized believers in Jesus Christ, and those individuals are centered on and driven by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, given in the Word of God. A church where you can be known and you can know others, where mutual love and mutual encouragement and mutual accountability, it just flows among us. I would assume that you want that and realize the Bible would tell you you need that in a local church. Uh, second of all would be a church where you can be involved and you can serve. A church where you can utilize the unique spiritual gifts that when you became a believer and God saved you, the batteries were included, which means everything that you need to power in the Christian life was given via the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God coming into your life and to your heart, He deposited gifts that are unique to your personality, unique to your passions, unique to your calling. And you would desire, I want to be a part of a local church where I can use the gifting that God has given me to be a blessing to the entire body as a means of worship to the chief shepherd of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. Third of all, I would assume that you want a church where you are spiritually led, biblically fed, and lovingly protected by shepherds, elders, pastors, whom God the Holy Spirit has raised up to care for us, to lead us, to protect us from false teaching, and to come alongside us and meet the myriad of challenges, the myriad of needs that not only you have individually, but your family as well. Men who take serious, hello, men who take serious, their God-given responsibility to teach the truth to themselves, to grow in the truth, and to equip all of us to be everything that God saved us to be. I would assume at least those three things you would say, not only I want those, but I need those. I need a place where I can be loved and cared for. I need a place where I can serve, and I need a place where I can know that the shepherds that are leading me are leading me spiritually and biblically into all truth, whether I like it or I don't like it. They're going to serve the Word of God to me in a so, friends, it is unfathomable to me that anyone who takes serious the Word of God would not desire those things. The question then becomes, how do you accomplish that? How do you accomplish that? How do you have a local church where those things begin to be operable, a necessity, and they are expected? 
Well, the question, I believe the answer, is I read the, the New Testament, and I see that the New Testament is written to local bodies, bodies in Corinth, bodies in Ephesus. When I look at local churches, and let's be clear, there is the global church that's made up of, made up of people <clears throat> of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. They're worshiping all over the planet today. That's the global church, and many of them you won't meet until glory. Amen? You won't meet until we all get into heaven, and, and Jesus comes from the four corners of the earth, and we're all brought together, and the wedding supper of the Lamb happens, Revelation 19, and we see all kinds of believers. That's the global church, but the global church shows its expression in local churches, individual bodies that are where you live, where you buy groceries, where you do life, where you eat good food, where you go to play and leisure, that you would plug your life into a group of believers that live there, do life there, and begin to expect these things that I just, just three that I, that I noted here. So the question then is, how do you do this? Well, I, I believe the way that you do this is some kind of membership, some kind of formal way to say, I'm a part of this church, or I'm a part of this church. I belong. There's a difference in, in attending and belonging. Attending is for all. Belonging is when you actually put your name on the line and say, I want to be a member. I want to be plugged in. Now, let me say this. I realize that some of us have had very bad experiences in church. In fact, could you raise your hand if you've ever had a bad experience in a local church? Yeah, most of us, and, and, and some of those bad experiences even happen here, right? So, so all of us have had bad experiences. We've been the recipients of mistakes by heavy-handed leadership, uh, manipulation by biblical called men who use their authority not to help but actually to hurt. We, we, I know there's a lot of stories like that in this room. In fact, some people like to attend churches where there is no membership. You know why? Because they're not going to get hurt, maybe. Because they don't have to be committed. They can just attend and kind of, you know, take what they want, and they don't have to be connected. And so, therefore, if they see something they don't like, they just bolt down the road. They go somewhere else, and they do no harm, no foul. So, people like to attend churches like that many times because they can just kind of maybe sit in the back, not really engage, and no expectation, and it's, it's sort of a manageable Christian faith. So when I talk about church membership, you have to understand, I am not, and the Bible is not talking about a club, where you get a card, and you get benefits and perks, that membership, like you get it out like your badge, and you say, here's my badge, and here's the perks of, of what it means to be a member, and that, that you kind of flash it around as your varsity, because you're a church member, and everybody else is JV, because they kind of haven't come up to being a member of a church. Let me tell you something. That is the last thing the Bible has called you to do. That is the last thing for you to go around with any kind of pomp and swagger and sort of say, well, I'm a church member, and maybe one day you'll be as mature as I am. That involves rather arrogance on your part. Rather, the desire of the Bible is to call Christians, to call Christians to a more genuine, authentic, holistic, heartfelt relationship with other Christians. I mean, I want you to look around this room. Look around, look around, look around, look around. See, a church family is really not someone you pick. It's actually someone God picked for you. You understand that? I did not pick this church. This, God picked this church for me. 
I'm from Texas, people. I didn't just show up one day and say, I think I'm going to go. No, God picked this place for me. But I want to submit to you that even if you're not from Texas, and I don't think anybody else is, that God picked this church for you. Some of you have come to this church in recent day and say, you know, I didn't ever think I'd be a member of another church based on what happened at another church. And God has changed your heart and he's brought you here and we, we praise God for that. But I'll submit to you that God picked this place for you. You didn't pick it. You gave yourself to prayer. You gave yourself to things like Discover PVC. You studied, you looked, you thought, and then God convinced you, this is where I need to hang my spiritual hat and serve and be loved and be cared for. All those things. So you didn't pick this church, all right? So, so get the credit off of you. God picked this place. For you. So church membership comes with relationships that you, you got to embrace, comes with responsibilities you got to acknowledge, and it comes with commitments that you've got to make, not just to God, but to us. When you join a church, you're not just committing to God, you're committing to the people that make up the church. You're committing to them. I'm committed to you. We're committed to each other's spiritual welfare and well-being. That means that we go after each other, we love each other, we encourage each other, all the things that go with that. So what is the biblical basis for this? Because we cannot proceed one inch of moving forward and practicing any form of membership if we don't see that the Word of God actually teaches that. So the question is, when I read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, is there going to be a verse in there that says, thou shalt be a church member? You are going to look in vain to find that verse. You're going to look in vain. But, the big but, there are numerous truths. I've got eight of them. I'm not going to do all eight today. Don't break out in hives. This is a series, not a one-time event. But I've got eight. I've got eight reasons, eight, eight exhortations, eight things I think the Word of God assumes about a, a Christian when it comes to their relationship to a local body of baptized believers responsibilities, exhortations, that in these churches in the New Testament, there was something in place where you knew who was a part of that church and you knew who was not part of that church. So I contend that these make church membership an assumption of the Bible upon us today, that they knew who was in, they knew who was out, And let me take you through some passages that I want to point to, and then I'm going to challenge you to take this membership journey with us. Not all today, but we're going to look at this over the next few weeks. And by the way, we are headed back to the book of Colossians. Um, We do have Colossian journals that are $3 a piece, biblical text on one side, blank on the other. We've got about 22 sermons left in Colossians, okay? So we're coming back, but we're we're taking a break here because I think this is really important for us to get our mind right, especially as our church is growing numerically, for us to all be on the same page on this. All right, so what is the reason? The reason, what's the first reason for church membership? Number one is responsibility of saints to the elders. Responsibility of saints to the elders. Now, don't be confused if you don't have a church background. Saint just simply means Christian. Saint means follower of Jesus. Saint means disciple or believer. In the Bible, they called them saints. A saint means called out by God to be his child, okay? So the reason I use that language is that's the language the New Testament uses a lot. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. So the first responsibility when it comes to membership is there's a responsibility that saints have to their elders. So think about your responsibility to those whom God has raised up, 
to love us and to lead us. Without membership, my question is this, who is it that the New Testament is referring to who are called upon to that leadership? And who are these leaders? I mean, nobody is going to argue. Nobody's going to argue. If they did, they've lost their biblical mind. That a Christian is required to submit to the authority of anybody. Any guy that just walks in the door who says, you know, I know the Bible. Hey, I, I think I'm your leader. I think you should do this in your life. And you somehow say, amen, I'll, I'll follow your, your lead on that. The Bible doesn't give you that as a Christian. That you're so, just supposed to submit to anyone and everyone. No, there must be some kind of expressed willingness, agreement, covenant, commitment that precedes a person submitting to a specified group of leaders. So let me show you a couple of texts. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. I can't begin to tell you how sobering this passage is, but notice 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? They are watching over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, you think that lays a burden on you because this is an exhortation to the whole body. Put yourself in the place of David Stark, who is an elder. Put yourself in the place of Doug Griggs. Put yourself in the place of Jordan Johnson. Do you know, friends, that we're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day and he's going to talk to us about how we loved you and how we shepherded you and how we led you in biblical truth? Do you understand that we have a final job review? And I don't take that lightly. I get up every day thinking about my final job description when I stand before Jesus because with this obey your leaders comes a lot of expectation that the leaders are godly and scripturally walking in a way, not perfect, but they're growing in godliness themselves. So this is a, a big deal that we do not take, that we don't take light. Uh, next verse. Peter, uh, the apostle's writing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, and the apostle says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you. Now, this is elder, this is leader, those ones who are laboring among you, Thessalonians, who are over you in the Lord. Over you doesn't mean to manipulate you or hurt you or, or make you obey no, it, it's, it's actually being an elder is given the authority by God to be your greatest servant. Let me say that again. The power that God vests in elders is that they would be equipped to be your greatest servant. Jesus' power that he had was to wash people's feet. And that's the job, namely, of an elder. And notice, to admonish you and to esteem you very highly in love because of their work. So here's my conclusion. If there is no membership, or if there is no way of knowing who is with us, having made the commitment to be led, then there is no way by which people can acknowledge those who are supposed to be leading. So it's difficult for me to see how you can take just these commands seriously and not have some form of saying, these are the members, these are the ones who belong to this church, these are the ones whom God has raised up to lead this body and love this body and care for this body. Second of all, accountability of elders to the saints. It's a big deal. I'm accountable to you. 
okay? I'm accountable to you. As the, the lead pastor alongside our other, I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to you that I'm actually giving you the Word of God, living out the Word of God, loving my little congregation who's watching online this morning, love you all, to love them in a way that the Bible would call me to love. I'm accountable to you. I'm not just out here on an island by myself. I'm accountable to the elders, how I lead. I'm accountable to us as a body and how I lead, just as the other elders are. Now, elders are supposed to love everybody. Amen? Elders are supposed to love everybody, not just church members. They're to love everybody. I'm not, when, I, when I go out and about, Walmart, wherever, I'm loving everybody. I'm loving everybody. And that's your job as well. You're not called to just love people in your church. I think you know that, but it just notes worth saying that you're supposed to be loving everybody. I'm supposed to be loving and caring for as many needs as God puts in front of me. But it is also true that elders in a local church have a unique and special responsibility to that flock where God has appointed them and the church has affirmed them. So yes, we are to love everybody as elders, but we have a special responsibility to you to lead you, love you, and guide you in the truth. Now notice Acts 20 and verse 28. Because Paul is with the Ephesian elders, he's, he's in tears, he loves them, he's never going to see them again, he's about to get in the boat, never gonna, no emails, no phone calls, he's never going to see them again. And he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves. Oh, has an, had an elder has to pay attention to his own self. And to all the flock, see that? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So again, elders don't just say, well, I want to be an elder. I'm going to do it. No, the Holy Spirit makes you overseers by you meeting the qualifications of an elder and a church affirming those things in your life. To care. That's to shepherd, to pastor for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, notice that phrase, all the flock. Now, when Paul told them this, did he mean, watch this now, did he mean that these Ephesian elders were responsible for the Christians in Colossae? Did he mean that these elders are responsible for the church at Laodicea? Or Philadelphia? Or Thyatira? Or Antioch? Or Jerusalem? No. No. There was a specific flock, who? The Ephesian believers, that these elders had been assigned by God to oversee, to protect, to love, to care, and to lead, that God had made them overseers. So again, this doesn't say we elders don't love everybody. We do love everybody, but we have a special, if, if, if we were looking at this the same thing and Paul were here, he would say to us to shepherd and care for the flock at PVC elders. That is your chief responsibility. You love everybody, but your chief responsibility is to that flock. That's where I placed you. That's where I've called you. That's where I have put you. Furthermore, it, this does not mean that we don't have a love and concern for all and that we don't love everyone who just casually enters this building on a Sunday morning. In fact, we must. Friends, we ought to be the most hospitable church. All right? When people come in this door, if we truly love the gospel, the go gospel doctrine, watch this now, when you really get the gospel, it produces a gospel culture among you. What I mean? I mean that Jesus has so welcomed us. Do you think you deserve to be in the family of God? But Jesus has graciously said, the Father wants you in his family. Come in. We want to be that same way to anybody who walks through these doors. Amen? Regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of skin color, regardless of background, regardless how they smell, it doesn't matter. We're going to love them because we've been so welcomed by Jesus, we want to give that back to anyone and say, we want to welcome you too. We want to love you well, 
how can we help you? How can we serve you? Here's some coffee. Here's a coat. What do you need? What if we got it? You can have it because we just want to welcome anyone and everyone. So I don't know how you can answer the question effectively that says, how are we to know who the flock is? How are elders supposed to know who they're supposed to be caring for? Well, you got to tell us. When you commit and say, I want to be a church member, what you're saying is, I believe in these elders in one sense. That's what you're saying. I believe these men who are leading us are God-qualified. I believe they have the spiritual oats in their belly uh, to lead and to do it in a way that's honoring to God and is helpful to us. You're coming underneath the care of the pastors that are here. If you don't trust the elders and the pastors that God has put in a congregation, you're going to have a hard time being a very successful member. Because after all, you're coming under the leadership that God is, we pray, bringing to us. Now, notice one other passage here, 1 Peter 5, 2 to 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God. He's talking to the elders. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice the phrase, those in your charge. See that? would be another way of Paul saying, you elders, you actually know who God has given you to care for. How could we know that unless you tell us? How could we know that you want us to care for your soul? If I see somebody out and about who says they're a believer and they ask me at Walmart, what, what should I do about this situation? I'm going to tell them what I believe the Bible says about their situation, but I'm also going to ask them, do you have a church, do you have a home, and do you have some elders, and have you talked to them about this? Because ultimately, I'm, I'm not responsible. I'm responsible to help you, but ultimately, your elders is who God has put in your life to protect you and help you and serve you. God puts a lot of, lot of investment in this, and I dare not tread there in a place where I've not been given oversight over. So if people are going to follow elders, we've got to know who they are. So here's, I think, a good way to think about it. The saints say this. Yes, we follow your lead. We put ourselves under your loving care to spiritually lead and feed. The shepherds say, yes, the elders, the shepherds, yes, we have assumed this responsibility before God to shepherd your souls before God. You see the agreement there? You see the mutual accountability there? You see that there? It's a beautiful framework. And both sides are in a, we're partners in the gospel. We're cooperating together. Nobody's better than anybody else. It's just that God has given us different gifts and different roles. And we're all functioning that way. We say we understand our role, you understand our role. In our Discover PBC class, we have an elder covenant where we say, we as elders say, we will do this. We want on the front end to tell our new members, this is what you can expect from us as elders. And if you don't see it in our life, then we want to have a loving conversation because we want to walk in a way that honors God and truly lives out His Word. So reasons for church membership. Number one, there's a responsibility that saints have to their elders. And second of all, accountability of elders to the saints. Now, last one I want to show you today, and we'll pick up next week, is the necessity of church discipline for all. All would be elders and saints. Saints and elders. So, all. So, elders can be disciplined as they should be disciplined if they need to be disciplined, and they get out from underneath the authority of the Word of God and go leave the reservation and do something unbiblical they need to be lovingly had a conversation with. But let me tell you something. The Bible makes it clear that as the being the evidence of two or three witnesses, if you're going to do that, going back to what Moses put in place for the elders in the Old Testament. 
all right? So we need to make sure that, that if you have a challenge with an elder, you need to talk to the elder about it. And that leads us here to what Jesus shows us, because um, nobody likes to talk about church discipline, least of all me. But guess what, folks? We're all sinners. Amen? Some of us are saved sinners. We're underneath the blood. Praise His name. Others of us are unsaved sinners, and we're praying that you'll come underneath and be a believer. But just because you're a believer doesn't mean you don't have residual sin left in you. It doesn't mean that you don't have an old man with you that you're battling, an old woman. You know, when you got saved, you brought a lot of baggage into the relationship, and there's flesh inside of you that struggles with things. And sometimes, unfortunately, sheep will get deceived, what the Bible calls, by the deceitfulness of sin. And like, a, a, like, like a, 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 a deer might get its antler stuck in a no trespassing zone, and the only way to get him out is actually get hands on him and pull him out, it's really the picture of a, of a believer who's gone astray and has begun to say that I, I am in rebellion against the Word of God. I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm going to do my thing, do what I want, and I don't care what you or anybody else, including God, thinks about my rebellion. That is called getting your spiritual antlers hung in the fence. And we have a responsibility, if you have said, I want to be a part of this church, to graciously come beside you and help get your antlers out of the trespassing sign. It's called church discipline. Now, the first case of church discipline is Matthew 18, from the lips of Jesus. If you're a believer, you know this text well, but let me just remind us. 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother, sister, sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, let me be cautious to tell you this. Sometimes husbands, wives are the offended party that need to be talked to, and, and you've got to use a lot of wisdom, and, and that's why you need elders to help you. Sometimes um, when two have become one, and a, and a marriage has become one, and the man is the leader in the head, then he needs to be in the middle of that, okay? So each situation is a little bit different, but the offended party um, individually, and in some cases, given wisdom, would bring someone alongside them, given the, the situation and it being sensitive. I think you know what I mean, and if you want to talk more about that, we can. But if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, if he's like, get out of my face... Who are you to judge? You think you're perfect? Don't judge me and all these other things that unfortunately we say when we get caught up in the deceitfulness of sin. Take one or two others. So you give them time to cool off. Give them time to pray about it. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I want you to get out of this. I'm here to help you. He's like, well, get out of my face. Get out of here. I don't care about this. Okay, then I've got to bring somebody else. A couple of weeks, stop back by whatever, conversation. And we say, brother, sister, here's the book, here's the chapter, here's the verse, here's the context. It's not about going and giving your opinions. Nobody cares about your opinions, as they shouldn't. The question is, what does the Bible say? If you can show me that I'm biblically in error, that's when we have a conversation. But if you're just going to tell me about a preference that you have, that doesn't have any weight. The Word of God is what has authority over all of our preferences. So it has to be a principle in the Word of God that this person has clearly said, I don't care. But if he does not listen, take one other, and that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. See the two or three witnesses I talked about a while ago? This goes back to Moses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
I'm not going into detail, but Jesus makes it clear if a professing lover of of his is so resistant to personal and, and private challenge, and they're so utterly resistant that when that has been brought before the body, that corporately the church agrees, this person based on the word of God is in error. Therefore, if they're going to continue in this error, we're, we're going to have to officially treat them like an unbeliever. Notice he says a tax collector or a Gentile. You know what a tax collector was or a Gentile? It's just simply saying someone who is living in rebellion against God. That's what tax collectors and Gentiles do. And so you're supposed to treat them like an unbeliever. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily they are an unbeliever, but they're acting like one. They're acting like a Gentile. They're acting like a tax collector. And so Jesus says, tell it to the church. Now, it's not to lambast them. It's not to gossip about them. It's not to write things on social media about them. It is to simply come alongside them and say, brother, sister, I love you. I'm praying for you. Let's have coffee. Let's have lunch. I want to talk to you. Can we talk through? And it's going after them. It's going the extra mile to win your brother back. James chapter 5 says, if you win someone back, you save a soul from possibly death. It's a big deal. But let me say this. The church must be a definable group. We have to know, who wants this kind? Who wants this kind of activity? Do you want to be held accountable? If you do, then that's what membership in many ways becomes. And I'm not just accountable. It's not just me and Jesus living out this relationship where don't tell me what to No, it's, it's I, have jo- I, I love Jesus and I've joined a body and I want this body. I want, in other words, I need more than my eyes to make sure I walk right. I need other people's eyes to come alongside me. So this means that without a local church, we don't know who the elders are, we don't know who should be coming underneath the accountability of the elders, and, and, and finally, the question is, well, who constitutes the church? When Jesus says, tell it to the church, the church hasn't begun yet, so Jesus is getting the apostles ready for Acts 2 when the church will begin. I don't go to sleep yet. I just want to show you one more thing. Go with me, it's not on the screen, but I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and verses 41 to 47. If you don't, can't turn there with me, I'm just going to read out loud. Because to be a member of this church, I just want to make sure this is clear, that this is where it begins. And this is where we get our marching orders, by the way, of of how a church, how how are you part of the church? Chapter 2, verse 41, this is the Apostle Peter. He's just preached a white-hot gospel sermon. He's called these Jews who killed Jesus to repent. And he says at the end of verse 40, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then those who received his word received the the gospel, realized they were sinners and and needed salvation, and they received that truth. For me, it's when I was 10 years old. That's when I became a believer. I received the word of God. And notice the next thing, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a lot of baptism, friends. People just going down and up, left and right. That's a big, massive group. But you see, notice added to the, that day to the church about 3,000 souls. So in order to be part of the church, one must receive the word. We know the thief on the cross was not baptized. It's very clear. I don't think they could peel his dying body off that and make him be baptized, right? So he didn't have opportunity to be baptized. But the Bible makes it very clear. If you're a believer and you have opportunity, you should be baptized. And so to be a member of any church, 
local New Testament church. One should have received the word, and one, sh one should be baptized. Because when you get baptized, you're going public. You're saying, I'm a believer, and I want to be baptized in many ways into the life of this congregation. That's why anytime someone's baptized in the New Testament, the church is always around. It's not these isolated in your, you know, friend's swimming pool with only family around. No, the church is there. The church is there authorizing what is taking place. That this person is being baptized, they understand the gospel, and they're being baptized. So notice how the church functions, and they, the baptized believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were what? being saved. So again, being saved is receiving the Word of God. It is receiving the fact that God is holy, I am a sinner, only Jesus could live the life, a perfect life, and die a death I deserve. And when you receive that, you now are a believer, you're a Christian. You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. But in order to be a member of the church, according to this, you must be baptized, because that is you going public with your faith. Now finally, I think it's really important before we close here to say that if you're in this room and you're not part of the church, that you're reminded of this verse, or maybe for the first time you see this verse, um, Romans 6.23. The Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So if you're in this room and you're not a believer, or you're watching online, let me tell you what your sin has earned you, wages. You know, wages is you work a job, you get paid your wages. Well, your sin... Since you were born, every time you sin, cha-ching, you are adding wages. Cha-ching, 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 you're adding debt to yourself. And that debt one day is going to be brought before a holy God, and you're going to be judged based on that debt. And I don't think you want to do that, friend. I don't think you want to stand before God with all this debt that you have incurred, because the wages of your sin is debt. But the free gift of God is eternal life. God says, I will give you a relationship with me. You don't earn this, wages. You receive this by trusting in Christ and Christ alone, by doing what they did here in the book of Acts, by receiving the word of God, receiving the gospel, recognizing Jesus died in my place. Let me ask you that question as we close. Have you received Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you recognize God is holy, I am not, only Jesus can save me, and I receive Christ into my life, and I'm coming under his good reign? Friend, if you've done that but you've not been baptized, that's your next step, according to the Word of God. If you've been saved and you've been baptized and you're looking for a church home, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. And I hope you see today that one, three exhortations, that there's a responsibility elders have to the saints, there's a responsibility elders have to the saints, and there's a church discipline. You can't discipline those who, are not, who have not told us that they want that kind of love in their life. Next week, we'll look at how this thing works itself out in a church in a nasty case in 1 Corinthians 5. Nobody likes to read 1 Corinthians 5, but we're going to look at it, and we're going to talk about it. And so, friend, you have a next step today, and I pray that God the Holy Spirit would make that plain in your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for, once again, the directives of your word that remind us how precious 
the global church is to you and how precious local bodies of baptized believers are to you. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us crystal clear exhortations on these matters. Lord, I thank you that your church is such a precious, dearest place on earth. I thank you for the members who make up this church, who, who have put their name on the line, who have said that we want to belong here, that, that we believe God is leading us here, that we entrust that the leadership that's here is biblical and godly. And Lord, I, I pray that you continue to help us be a healthy place that we wouldn't be a swollen church or a bloated church with just numbers of people, but we'd be a healthy church, a church that's growing, a church that is getting more and more healthy all the time because we're coming underneath the authority of your word. And Lord, I, I, uh, I thank you that there's times as a church where we need to pause our expository series, walking through a book, and just kind of have a family chat. And uh, Father, I pray that the intent of this uh, would be well received. And finally, God, we pray for those among us who uh, the wages of their sin is, is death. And Lord, they need the free gift of eternal life. I thank you for saving me when I was 10 years old. I thank you that all of us in this room, Lord, we have a story of coming from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I pray, God, that you would awaken in people's affections and their desires, ultimately their wills to come down at the end of the service and tell our response team, I want to be saved. Lord, we, I pray we'd never get over seeing lives saved by the glorious good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.